Well, we're going to get started here. There's just such an amazing, beautiful atmosphere. And I love even the words of this song about the Spirit hovering over the waters. And there's this, seems it feels like there's a calm assurance. And... Uh, and so I just pray this morning that we drink from the peace of that, the, the confidence that comes from realizing that we are his workmanship, that before the foundations of the earth, God determined what the bride of Christ would look like what we what would he would redeem us from and what we would be redeemed into and in a very real way the holy spirit wants to take over the administration of that process in our lives and there's this peace when you break free of all the striving when you when you stop being guilted into activity preemptive activity to finish a work that only he can finish. And so even this morning as we're seeing, I'm seeing the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and we being those waters. You know, waters metaphorically represents the, the nations and the people of the nations. And so we declare this morning, Lord, hover over us. We declare, Lord, that we are your workmanship, that that which you begun, you will finish. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill this place so we say no to fear, no to anxiety, no to guilt and condemnation, no to Every catalyst other than him, Lord, we want to respond to your gaze. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him. I, I realize that some of you have just come in here recently, but when we began praying this morning, there's just this overwhelming sense that there is an unfinished work that God wants to complete in his people. And, uh, and he has not only things to impart, but a mystery to bring us into to, that we would understand. And so there's, a, there's just this wooing of the Holy Spirit in the room where he's saying, and he's asking us, will you be attentive to me? Can you be attentive to me? And it sort of fits with this 40-day uh, yielding, 40-day yielding that uh, Watchmen for the Nations has been talking about, some of you have been following. But it's, it's part of this, this spirit that God is saying, where are my people who will gather to me, who will not just be busied about doing what they think they know, they know they, they need to be doing, but who will be changed by 
that drawing near. This is a time of a deep drawing near in order that the spirit that hovers over the waters would complete in us that which he'd begun. And so we posture ourselves this morning. And I, I want to take all the pressure off the worship team to, to do something fantastic. You know, sometimes they, they feel like they need to do something to, to make something happen responsively. But there is this heaviness of a presence, even as we're singing this song. I feel literally that there is a, a hovering over the waters. And we want to be, we want to feel free to bask in this. So, Lord, we just, uh, we call to you. We say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, draw near. Holy Spirit, draw near. Holy Spirit, we lean into you. There is a journey going on in the room where we are pressing past thresholds of impatience, thresholds of, I must be busy about something to show that something is being done. No, we, we are drinking even more deeply from you as we look intently into your face, Lord. I feel like I don't want to leave this time of worship, and I want us to sing this exact phrase in a minute. But I feel like like God is taking us, and there's a there's a step happening as He's trying to draw near to us, and and we're drawing near to Him. But I I just feel like I need to share just the very first part of the message this morning about becoming uncomfortable with the unfinished work, and and this is the issue is that. We don't understand the depth of the transformation that's necessary for the work of Christ in our lives, that we underestimate the kind of renovation. It's like going to a rotting house full of mold and where the, where the, the floor is rotten and everything. And we come in there and we, we just can't really handle the overwhelming job in front of us. So we just believe all we need is to sweep up a bit, maybe a coat of paint. And we sweep up and put a coat of paint, and and uh, and but the one who knows is saying, "No, it's got to go deeper. The transformation has to go deeper. You don't understand the decay that's in the house. You don't understand the renovation that needs to happen. You are so." uncomfortable with an unfinished work. You are running to the finish line, but you haven't even, you don't even know what the finish line looks like. He said, listen, I can do this. I have the wherewithal to do the complete work. And I'm trying to bring you into realization of what needs to be done. And there's things you're holding on to that I'm going to get rid of, but you want to put a coat of paint on and say, no, it's good. It's, it isn't good. And so when you say, pierce my heart, when we say that, we're saying, God, go another level deeper. Go another level deeper. Go another level deeper. And it reminds me of this vision that David Demian had where God was dealing with his life and trying to get him to give his whole life over. And in the vision, he had this book, and it was his dearest thing, and he he gave it to Jesus and he said, I love you and this is the most precious thing to you and I want to give you this. And Jesus was so grateful that he was willing to give it. And it was, it was, uh, he said, oh, I love you so much and this is so dear to me as well. And when he took the book, he suddenly began to rip it up. And David was irate. He was just livid in the vision. He, well, how dare you 
don't you know what this is? I just told you this is the most precious thing to me. And, and he said, David, we need to decide right now what kind of life you want with me. Before you gave this book to me, it was yours, and you could have done anything you want with it. But now it's mine. He says, many Christians, I don't own their lives, I rent their lives. I, can, I live in them, and I can do some things, but I can't change the building the way I want. Even if I'm the most amazing architect, I can't do what I want. I have to get permission for every coat of paint, every change of design, everything. And most Christians, that's what I do. I, I live with them, but I don't own them. And, uh, and he says, what do you want? What kind of, do you want me to display the magnificence of what I can do in a life or do you want to just live in a surface level with me? And some of us have begun, and we said, God, I want everything that you want. And when God began to dismantle the building, and he began to strip it down, and he began to expose the mold and the decay, we, were, we just couldn't handle it. And we, we pulled back because, no, this is not what I, I bargained for. This is not what I expected. And it's a time in this season right now where God is saying, come to me. All you that are weary and heavy laden because you've been kicking against the goads of my workmanship. You've asked for the deeper work, but you haven't understood what it is. And as I've tried to bring you into that, it has been, you're trying to hold things together that I'm tearing apart. And the, the, the emotional energy for you to try to sustain this is, is you're collapsing. And I'm saying you don't have to sustain it. Let me do what I want to do. And so this... This verse, pierce my heart, pierce my heart, is the cry of those that are desperate. Look, God, I, I can't hold this together anymore. I don't even know what is, what's supposed to happen. So let's sing it, and let's give it over. I feel that we need to declare something into our life and into our journeys. And one of the things we have sang over and over again this morning is, Let there be light. And I feel like the Lord is saying right now, for many of us, we can't get past some of those areas in our life and in our journey where it's dark. And I feel like there's a simple process, is we can actually start to declare the truth. And the truth is, He wants to change all things. That's the God we serve, the most faithful King there is. And we just need to declare, let there be lights. Let there be lights. Let there be light, Father God. So right now, I'm going to ask you, Whatever it is that you're carrying today, and maybe you're not carrying nothing, but maybe you actually see some things in our world, in our culture, in our community, where there needs to be light. You can declare it into those things as well, because there's so many things right now at this moment in time. We have an opportunity to actually declare and to prophesy that light is coming. Light is coming. So, Father God, right now, whatever it is, Whatever things that we have in our own hearts, whatever things going on in our journey, whatever things going on in this community right now, Father God, we declare this, let there be light in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, we declare, let there be light in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, into every financial situation in this room, let there be light, Father God. Father, every wound every heartache, every issue that we can't seem to get by right now in this moment, God, let there be light in the name of Jesus. Father God, in our schools, in our community, in our governments, 
Let there be light in the name of Jesus. Father, they just passed a bill, Bill 24. But you are bigger than Bill 24. And we declare, let there be light in the name of Jesus. Let there be light in the name of Jesus. Father, in all things right now, let there be light in the name of Jesus Christ. So Father, we trust you in this. We actually won't walk away from this thinking that nothing's going to happen. We believe it in the name of Jesus. That you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. And as your word says, it is finished. And we declare that to be truth in Jesus' name. Um, Cam, why don't you come and share that uh, prophetic picture that you had earlier? So we're worshiping. We're in that, you know, he's hovering over the water and pierced my heart. And suddenly my mind flashes to a chunk of a movie that I saw years ago. I don't know the name of it. But the premise was it's before the euro kicks in. And national currencies at midnight suddenly have no value. And it was some heist movie. Somebody got a hold of, you know, a million dollars or whatnot in, like, French francs, something like that. And there's this transition point between noon and midnight where the euro is in effect and the national currency is in effect. But there's coming this deadline where it doesn't matter if you've got a billion francs, you'll go from being rich to a pauper when that hour strikes. And the thing that was catching people up was this nationalistic, you know, but this is my nation, this is my currency, this is how I've always done it, this is the way it is, I grew up this way, this is everything that I've known, I've invested in the system that produced this. And then it's all coming to naught. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling this urgency of, We're in that transition zone right now where some of the things that we've been doing have life and have, you know, produced some results. And, you know, we've got our houses are, you know, more comfortable and those kinds of things. But midnight's coming and the things that we've been doing, the things that we've had a mixture in suddenly are not going to count for anything. And they're not going to produce any results. They're not going to have any life. They're not going to have any effect. But we're still, our hearts are still latched onto those things because they have produced I got this far with this thing. And there's this challenge in the spirit of getting out of the old way of doing things because the hour is coming and it's coming quickly. This urgent sense is it's going to close off. And the thing that we knew is suddenly not going to work anymore. And then what? You start at the beginning. But we're in a transition point now where if we can start stepping away, step away, step away. I'm transitioning the currency, transitioning the currency until... When it takes over and midnight strikes, I can still function. I can still move and breathe and have my being. But what are the things that are holding my heart in place? And check those. Amen. So, Father, we pray that uh, you would continue the work in us, Lord. Uh, And as we uh, move towards that that day, Lord, when the old currency will be completely without value. God, we pray that we, at that point, we'll have no more stake in it. We'll have no more uh, holdings in that currency. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So um, I want to talk uh, for a few minutes about these dynamics. I feel it ties into not only an eternal kingdom principle, but 
very much something that's happening in our lives today. And uh, I see the strain in people's lives because of this issue. The emotional strain of trying to hold something together when it's actually God that's dismantling it. And, uh, you know, Paul talks about, when he talks about the Galatians, you know, going back to the law, he says, if I rebuild that which, you know, I destroyed, you know, it's it's pointless. We don't want to rebuild what God is trying to destroy. And so there is this issue where we we are rooted in a system that is passing away. We have landing points where we trust certain certain things that are, are they're just not going to be good. At, at midnight, suddenly that currency is going to have no value. And yet we have this emotional attachment. We have this familiar spirit sort of c- connection to w- the way we've done it. And right now we are in the season. The whole body of Christ is in the season where God is saying, listen, come out of her, my people. I am trying to set you free from that which is passing away. I'm trying to set you free from what's going to have no traction in the new kingdom. And, uh, and so, and and the thing is, well, doesn't it, what if it doesn't matter? I mean, if we're all going to die and we're all going to be there, you know, in heaven and a part of the kingdom, because, you know, I'm saved, what does it matter how much of this traction is gone from my life? And the other part of the picture is this, is that, he that rule, you know, that we're going to be given jurisdictions to rule over according to the faithfulness of this time. You hear what I'm saying? So in as much as we have actually identified with the, the, the kingdom of God and God's ways, we carry that, that capacity into eternity. And so the degree that we lose our life now, we share in glory with him. We rule and reign with him in as much as we learn to rule and reign with him. during, And that's what this life. Otherwise, it, it would be pointless. Otherwise, as soon as you get saved, we would baptize you and just hold you down. Right? It's like, man, we're sending you right on. You know, because in other words, there has to be a point to this journey. There has to be actual outcomes. There actually has to be, and, and that, that element we try to ignore. I mean, the classic, you know, conservative Pentecostal theology in some circles sort of rejects the idea that there's going to be any differences between us after we die. You know, and uh, uh, no, actually, you know, those that do exploits will shine like the, the morning sun. And those that don't will still be saved. And they'll be grateful and rejoice, but something will have been lost. And that's why, he's gonna, that's why there's going to be tears, and he'll wipe away the tears from our eyes. But here's the good news. You're still alive. We're right here. We're in the middle of this. And, and God is actually continuing this work, and no matter how hard it seems, no matter how hard it seems, he's just looking for you to say, okay, don't let up. Don't let up. I can tell you again and again and again moments where I, I just thought, man, I don't know if I could continue to do this. And some of the strains on my life, I mean, there was family strains. I had five kids, uh, a wonderful wife, which made it really easier, you know. But the, the five kids was hard for me. 
I confess, you know. <laughs> all the time I'm home and I can't think because there's noise all the time. I can't meditate. I can't, you know, trying to figure out a revelation and, you know, there's poopy diapers and whining kids and sleep times and, and on and on it goes. And, but worse than that for me was the financial lack of, of that season. I mean, it was, it was so hard. It just seemed crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And I think, God, I don't know if I can handle any more of this. And he said, but you're still alive. You know, what, what have you lost? I mean, look at, and I remember one day he brought me a report. He said, he said, listen, the tension you feel is artificial. It's all, it's internal. He said, look at your life. Do you have a roof over your head? Yeah, I got a roof over my head. Do you eat? Yeah, obviously. You know, I was. You have almost a, a, a you know, a, just a couple-year-old van in, in, the, in the... There are a lot of things you don't have that you'd like that would make you feel more settled, but, but your life is somewhat complete and wonderful. What is all the tension about? The tension is because we are in this bubble where the Holy Spirit is trying to transform us. And he's using these other things around us. But really, they're not, we're not, I mean, we're not being persecuted to the point of death here. We're not in Ethiopia or Iraq. You know, we're not getting raped and murdered and imprisoned and sold for slave. You know, the tensions in our life, they're real. Okay, I'm not trying to minimize it. But but we're still alive. And more importantly, if we actually could get our minds around this, Paul says the sufferings, the things, the persecutions, the things that are happening, and he he experienced way worse than us. He was beaten a few times, he was whipped a few times, he was, he said, you know, he was running away from captivity, and I mean, his life was not exactly complete. And he said, my sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in me. He said, all of these things are freeing me from from the need to have something complete now. So I am actually actually becoming comfortable with this unfinished scenario because there is a a finish line that is better than the one I would paint for myself right now. And you know what we're talking about right now. I mean, I I have, have, you know, I remember... I had a list of things, you know, and I, I thought when when all the kids are in school, then it all it'll be great. Then all the kids were in school, and it's like when all the kids are out of school, then it'll be great. When we have a house, when the house is paid off, and we are in the better house, like you know, <laughs> it's this unending list of things that were never really resolved, but. I we find I find comfort in those because there's this work going on in the background of our life that cannot be finished. And God is saying, "Listen." And I I'll, I'll come back to this scripture. He said, "Listen. I'm I'm trying to do something permanent and eternal in your life. I am trying to shift things deep inside of you. The way that your heart connects 
to the world around you, the way that you connect to me, the way that you connect to the kingdom of God, the way that you connect to one another. I am trying to change the DNA of all of this in your life. But we thought, like we were saying earlier, that, oh, we just need to paint a coat, a coat of paint. We just need, you know, some tweaking. You know, if only we just, you know, it was that one thing. So right now, Father, we want to say, and I I feel like uh, God is bringing in the room, right in front of us, the unfinished work. And I, I just want you to, Put your hands on your heart and say, say, God, I, I'm willing, if you are. God, I'm willing. Holy Spirit, we don't know that finish line. And it's almost like we do anything to cover up the fact that we're not there, uh, to avoid the question, to avoid the issue. But we say, Lord, we welcome <sighs> the work of renovating this life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, even as we are recommitting to this journey, we pray that there will be releases. Release of tension, release of anxiety, release of frustration. That, uh, that Lord, you are over this whole journey. You are over All of this, and as confusing and as difficult and as tenuous as it seems for us, it isn't for you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, this morning when we were in in the the prayer room, and this is where things tend to become clear. Now, as as I think about it, all this last week, we've been talking about some of these things, and Darlene Mitchner came in this morning, and she had a dream. She said, I had this dream last night, and I was sitting in front of a mainframe, a massive computer system, and I was deleting identities. And, uh, and, I was, and she talked about deleting her own identity, her own name, and how hard that was. I mean, it was just this, this, this shift over, and she, she began to talk about how uh, she felt like it's, it's we're, God is going to give us a new name. It says we're given, those who overcome are being given a, a white stone with a new name written, and we're being given the hidden manna uh, to, to participate, to eat. And so there's this thing that's happening if we overcome, but there's something in us that wants to hold on to our identity. There was something scary about deleting my identity from this mainframe. Now, it's an incomplete picture, but I believe it represents this deep work where we have this association with the world around us, this connection, this draw. The the world has attraction in our hearts, and God is saying, I'm trying to free you from this present age. I'm trying to free you so you don't need a name here. You don't need an identity here, that you are complete and hid in me, and that this is the journey. So, as, uh, as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking of all the different ways over the years that I personally and we collectively have resisted that transformation or that, that shift that God is trying to do. And uh, the first story I was remembering uh, was 
way back when I was a Bible college student, and um, I'll try and keep this somewhat anonymous. My mom had a friend who was a, a, a kind of a key leader in a large international ministry in Canada, and he decided that, you know, it felt the Lord had called him to start this church. And he was, uh, he was, you know, they had started, they had a meeting place, they had worship, and they had styled it in a very contemporary way. You know, it was the latest music, the latest worship. And the whole thing was, uh, we want to get past all of that religious traditional stuff because this is really where God's at, you know. If, and, and, you know, we have the same thing today. You know, if we just get some strobe lights, right, some black lights and a smoke machine and turned it down and make it more concertish, you know, then people will come because it'll be contemporary and, you know, just get a little more, a few more Bethel songs and, and you know, we, we start to, you know, pull these cultural things that are hip and now and we identify with this is current, you know. Uh, and, um, and so anyway, this guy did this, but it was like 1985 or something. And he really wanted me to go to that church and I could feel that. And I went to this meeting and they were talking about it and, and they were talking about how great their church was. And, and I just, I felt like, I don't know why, but I felt there was less substance in that church than there was in my more traditional Pentecostal church. And there was things about the Pentecostal traditional church I was in that I didn't really like. And I thought, you know, why why do they do this? You know, I would like to actually have more current, you know, things. But And and he took me aside at the end of that meeting. He said, said, Mark, I have a question for you. He said, why don't you come to our church? And I kind of had an answer, but I didn't want to tell him. But it strikes as it strikes me now as I think about it that it's related to this, what we're talking about today. That in the same way we do this personally, that we we want to take a shortcut to a finished version of what's going to take years to do. That there's somehow this unwillingness to face the the mirror that you know there might be there might be mold have you ever had something like that in your house like where you're 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 thinking you there's a problem there's some water on the wall and somebody said there might be mold there no no no, no there's no, no mold there it's just we'll just use the hair dryer we'll dry it out and put a paint of coat it'll be great why cuz you don't really want to look because if you open it up and there is mold and there is decay, you don't know if you can handle the disappointment, the tension, the, the financial risk and cost. And if it's that bad, what else is there? I'd rather not know. I'd rather pretend like that's not there. Well, let me tell you something. In our lives, there's wet spots appearing and there might be decay. There might be mold. And God is saying, I'm not, you know, shocked by what's there. I'm not surprised by what's there. I don't look at you any differently if there's, if there's all kinds of decay or no decay. I love you. And we say we believe that. Right? Do we believe that? Oh, yeah. God is, you know, God's uncompromising, you know, Love, it's perfect, and, you know, he loves me. I am loved. 
but I don't want to look at the decay behind the drywall because it might be worse than I think, and I don't know if I can handle. And there's a lot of things in that, but so God is saying, listen, I want you to become more comfortable with being unfinished. And this is where we started when I started praying. I, I began to feel the need in me to tie off all the loose ends. You know, and part of that is okay, right? Part of that, I, I like to have a neat living room. If I'm going to sit in my living room and, you know, read or, you know, fool around on my iPad, I need the room to be neat because it gives me a sense of that that room is complete. And if I go to watch TV, even a hockey game up in the bonus room and there's kids' toys all over the floor because the grandkids are there, I have to put it all away. I must tie this off. I must, you know, put a certain level of completeness because I feel at ease if that completeness is there. Which is fine when you're talking about straightening a room. But when you're talking about the whole of your life needing to be renovated in a way that's going to take 30 or 40 years, yet you're trying to tie it off in six months, there's a certain amount of pretense involved. <laughs> Hello? Right? There's a certain amount of lying to yourself about what's really finished and what isn't finished. And God is saying, listen, you don't understand the work that I'm doing. I, I'm, I am doing more than tweaking your life. I'm doing more than getting you to wear a suit and cut your hair. I'm doing more than getting you to stop swearing. You know, well, the transformation is much deeper than skin deep. Much deeper, much deeper, much deeper. Yeah, but this is all I can handle. I just can't think about more. I just can't face the mirror. And God is saying, listen, I've already got a solution for whatever's behind that, that wall. Well, so we do that individually, but we do it collectively. And we, we try to find a model of the church that is the complete version. And even though I'm, I remember hearing about this and talking about this, and I thought, no, 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 I'm going to be that kind of one that, you know, I want what God wants, and, and I'm going to be comfortable with the unfinished thing, but yet I still find myself uh, uncomfortable with imperfections. And, you know, if only we did this. So I'm always trying to, I, I feel like there's this, I was trying to find this model that's, okay, this is the right kind of church. Does that make sense to you? So this guy was doing this, but somehow I could feel ah, that there was, I could smell mold, spiritually speaking. I could feel like there's a lot of pride and ambition behind this. And I would rather go to my more conservative, unpretentious Pentecostal church, which has an ob a bunch of obvious flaws, than this one, which has flaws that are not obvious, but will become apparent in six months to a year. And, of course, the church never went anywhere. As far as I know, it's non-existent today. But, but what is this thing inside us that's uncomfortable with the unfinishedness? I see it sometimes manifesting when I open my iPad and I think, what, 18 apps to download? I just, I just updated all those apps. What the heck? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Why do, they keep, why do I have to keep updating? I mean, can't we just be done? Like, isn't there a version of this that's finished? Well, it, it isn't because it's always changing. You can live in a world where you pretend 
like nothing needs to be changed, yet things are always changing. And it's an illusion, a false safety, a false sense of completeness to try and latch on. If you do that, you get stuck in a corridor, in a time lock, and, and the, church, the world moves past you. But, you know, that's okay because I got everything I need. My dad used to do that with technology, you know. I don't need a VCR. It's too hard to program. All I need is cable. Because, you know, anything that I can't fix, I don't want. And so we simplify. Like, this is all, this is really what's important. So I realize that there's all these things that prop up in us that are, are fixes that are not fixes for our journey. And right now I'm praying that that what is translated to our hearts is a confidence that he who began a good work in you has the wherewithal to f- complete it. And this is the beauty of it. When, you, when God saved you, God saw who you are right now or who you were then. He saw everything that needed to be done, and he was unthreatened by any of it. And he wasn't disillusioned by the fact that there was so much work. You know, like when we take on a construction project or remodeling, we we take on only what we feel we're capable of. But God doesn't have those limitations. And when he looked at your life and saw what you are, he saw what you thought you were and what you thought needed, but he knew the the real truth. And he's saying, listen, I just need your okay. I just need you to say, yeah, I'm in. I'm in for more. There's something freeing about that. And yet I feel like even in the room now that it's not freeing for some people. Like it's like there's there's something God is saying, listen, I want to want to do this thing. No, we're good. We're good. You know, there's a few things need to be tweaked in my life, but you keep talking about this and I'm getting depressed. There's no depression needed if we are in faith. And this is, this is the issue, is do we believe him? Do we believe that what, that which he began, he will complete it? Or do we have to find a version, a finish line that is not the finish line, but a, it's good enough for me, finish line. I'll just, you know, I'll just go that far, and that's good enough. I mean, you really can't expect more than that. It's reasonable, given where I came from, given my family heritage and given the kind of parents I had. And God is saying, no, you're you're doing what Israel did when they faced the promised land, and they decided how much of the promised land they could conquer based on what they could do. And what I was trying to get to them is, listen, I got what you need to get the whole promise. I've got what you need to get all of the promise and right in our lives, we do the same thing that Israel did, but we, we think, well, this is how much I think I can change in my life. This is, and we, we actually end up not using the power of God because we're, we never require ourselves to lean into faith. It's, it ends up being another self-help program, just a Christian one. A Christian self-improvement system. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You know, I'm, I'm talking quantum leap. 
transformation. I, but, but there's this thing happening in some of our lives where, where, where we can't give up on the hope that self-improvement is enough, so we keep doing it. And guess who's working against us? God himself. He's the one that's working against you, saying, no, I have more than that for you, and I'm not going to let you settle for that little amount. You know, I look around the room, and I see some amazing people, and I'm thinking, hey, they're, they're pretty good. I'd keep them just like that. Like, you know, it's not a question of value or not value, and yet, and yet God is saying, I'm... I'm doing this deeper work in you. And yeah, you're, you're measuring up Christian as you are, but what if, what if I could reach deeper into you and the, some of the fundamental things in your life, the way your heart operates, I could shift and free you in a way that you, could ne- you would never imagine is possible. This is my intention. And I'm just trying to find a people who will lean into that. But we are like um, my kids and the grandkids. You know, have you ever had a moment when you're trying to, you, you, you have a teaching moment with a grandchild or a son or daughter or something like that, and you're like, and, and they're, they're, they're there, and all of a sudden, oh, something shiny. And, and, you know, you had that little sliver where you were imparting something significant. You were like, oh, this is great. I'm actually, it's gone. That moment's gone. Well, our Heavenly Father is looking at us, and, and he's saying, listen, I have things. I, I want to interface with you. I want to impart things to you. But I get these little slivers of moments when you're truly attentive and ready, and then I lose you. And, and he's saying, and even I think what this, this season is about, the whole uh, yielding. I mean, look, yielding, yielding. It's about, I want to do something in a people, and I just need a deeper level of yielding. But here's the problem. We, we don't know a deeper level of yielding. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he, he was, um, we were talking about this teaching I did years ago, which I, you know, it's Hebrews 4.12, and entering his rest and and he was um he was doing this thing with his business and trying to run his business and and uh I could see the the striving I could see the the fear base the confidence that if I only do it more excellently I'll 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 prosper and yet everything he was doing was like you know crashing up against this failure again and again and again you know subpar results subpar success and and I I would share with him, you know, God's trying to get us to enter into his rest. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You know, because it's all about faith. It's about not trusting yourself. It's about trusting him. He's, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Yeah, God did this thing last week. He was showing me how much I was trusting in myself, and and and, and I shifted, and, and now I'm there. Except he wasn't. And here, 15 years later, he has this colossal moment where he realizes, for 15 years, I have been, you know, labeling everything 
God, by God's grace, I've been saying theologically all the right things, but I'm carrying it all myself internally. I'm doing it all. The, the onus is on me. The weight is on me. The response. So he's trying to be diligent and he's killing himself and he's exhausted. And, and you know, the price is being paid everywhere. And suddenly he comes into this epiphany and he, he breaks. And he comes into this whole level of faith that, he's been, that he thought he had for 15 years. And he, oh, the liberty. I, I've been doing it all myself. Yeah, I know. I could see that. But every time we talk about it, you said you know that. So what are we to do? Same thing God is doing with us. He's waiting. 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 Until we just, something breaks. How much longer is it going to take? I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Until it breaks. How do you have, I'm going to stop today having self-confidence. I'm going to stop trusting in me and I'm going to trust in the Lord. It's a hard thing. It's deep enough. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. It's a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. Why do we need the word of God to reveal the thoughts and the intents of the heart? Because no matter what you say to yourself, you don't know. The, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not how you have postured yourself according to the te- latest teaching that you decided was correct and said you were lining up with that. No, this is, I, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, you, you, you have given as much mental assent as you can to that thing, but you're in a journey where God is taking you through dynamics you don't understand to a place where, boom, it's real. And then everything shifts. Everything changes. Wow, I never knew you could have this freedom. I never knew I could feel like this. I never knew. I, I, I knew God loved me, but this is holy. This is amazing. Why didn't I do this before? Because you couldn't. It's the sum total of the workmanship of God in your life and not just tweak this, tweak that. And so when we are saying yielding, we're committing to a journey that's beyond tweaking our lives and adding a little extra, oh yeah, that's a great insight. Love great insights, love those wisdom, but there's a, there's a, a shifting that's more fundamental, that's deeper, and it takes the weight of God's dealings in your life in a macro way. And, and even if you're frustrated by that, you want it. Because it is the quantum leap. If you've ever had a quantum leap moment, maybe, maybe when you were born again, that was a quantum leap moment where everything so dramatically changes. I'm telling you, there are more just like that one. Maybe more, some of greater significance than that one in terms of how it affects your daily life. But you, we don't know it's there because we spent all of our lives trying to line up with what do I do as a good Christian? What do I do as a good Christian? And God said, yeah, all of that, that's great. You're managing sin. You're managing behavior. But I'm doing something better. Just stick with it because you're close. You're coming close. You're coming close. And there's going to be a shift and suddenly a dimension where you're released into accessing 
him and the resources of the kingdom of God in a way you never even knew was possible. You didn't even know you weren't doing it. Now, what was wrong with your friend that it took him 15 years? Nothing. Nothing. It's just, it's just, it's just the way it is. And so, wow, I don't know if I could handle the thought of being that incomplete. And that's why we can't see it. But it's just a beautiful thing. God is, God is loving, loving this. Let me re- share two scriptures and try and tie a couple of these things together. A few weeks ago, I was reading in Corinthians, and this verse struck me. It says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. I love that thing. Judge nothing before the time. And there are so many implications of that when I think about it. And Paul was actually saying, listen, I don't, I don't know that there's anything. I'm not aware of anything that, that specifically God is after. But that doesn't justify me. He said, but the, my confidence is, is in this, is that I'm not done yet. My journey is not finished. I am on a journey, and, and so I'm saying to you, don't judge me as an apostle before the time, Paul says, because I'm, I'm trying, but there are things that are beyond just do this differently. But here's my confidence that he who began a good thing in me will complete it because I am his workmanship, and, and, and uh, I don't have to worry about it until I die and I'm in his presence. Then I'll be judged. And we'll, everything will be made clear. But until then, I'm still shifting and you're still shifting. But the thing is, we judge ourselves harshly and we tend to judge others harshly. We were talking about this the other day and I, I, was, I was thinking about this. And this may be a side note, but we were talking about how... I'll just tell you how it manifests in me, but there are times when I watch my kids being judged by others because of their incompleteness. And, you know, as a pastor and somebody in ministry, sometimes the, the idealism of completeness is put on pastor's kids in a way that they aren't on regular kids. And, and so, but I, there are times when my kids are doing something and I want them so badly to shine so as to... So, so, as, so that they can escape being judged in this way. And I remember feeling the anxiety, you know, I want them to do well. And I was thinking about it after we had talked about this the other day. And I, I thought, why, why the anxiety? And, and I realized it's because we're trying to shield our kids from the world that judges them prematurely. Because that's the impulse of mankind. That's the, hence the impulse that we do. We don't like, and what we do, we have this love for our kids, and so we're, we're somewhat content with the fact they're on a journey, they're unfinished. But we feel like if others look in right now, they're going to judge them and their incompleteness by where they are right now. So you want to shield them from that potential judgment. So first of all, you can't. They don't even try because they, part of what's happening in their life is you want them to become comfortable with the incompleteness. 
Because the truth is, inasmuch as others will judge them, they judge themselves. And you can't change that others are going to judge them, but you can, you can get them to the place where they're com- with, through your love, they're comfortable with being incomplete. And if they're comfortable with being incomplete, and they feel that you love them and God loves them, then it won't matter what the world says. So it really comes down to this thing. There is this, there's this idea we have about what it means to be a complete Christian or a complete person or a perfect church. Or, and, 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 but it's all false. Everything you can imagine that might be, there's going to be another upgrade. You're gonna, God, by his spirit, is going to say, okay, it's time to upgrade this app. You know, we're going to fix some of the bugs in it. You know, it's, it's, it's good in some ways. It does some of what it's supposed to do. But when you have this other program open, it collapses. You ever been in a situation? You're at a, somebody's house, and generally you do well socially. But when that person is around, you collapse. You know, that person is always pushing your buttons. What you need is an upgrade. So that you can work in a compatible way in this scenario. So each of these moments are, are like that water spot on the wall. They're trying to say, there's, there's something broken. There's something broken. And if I really am secure that God loves me, that's all right. I can face that. There's no problem. I don't feel diminished by that. Because God loves me. And judge nothing before the time. And I'm on a journey. And I'm not complete. There's an amazing freedom. There's an amazing rest in that. And I believe that part, maybe an offshoot, of what God is doing in these seasons right now is he's making us uncomfortable, I mean, sorry, making us comfortable with being incomplete. You know, well, I'm comfortable with my husband in the context of our life because, you know, he's told me how incomplete I is and I'm, I've told him how incomplete he is, and, you know, we sort of cover each other's incompleteness, but, but I'm not comfortable on the next level. I believe that a part of the kingdom is that if we could be comfortable with our incompleteness, that's not excusing sin, but comfortable with our incompleteness, we'll suddenly find we'll be able to make other people comfortable with their incompleteness. It's kind of like what Lauren was saying the other day. He's saying, you know, when you're on a, you know, generally you try and cover up the defects of your body as you're aging with clothes. But then you get this moment where you're in Mexico at an all-inclusive. And you're on the beach and nobody's perfect. I mean, and it's all hanging out everywhere. And, but there's a freedom in that. You're just, yep, there's no hiding it now. And there isn't the same carefulness to conceal and be something you clearly can't be without the benefit of clothing. (laughs) That nakedness is the nakedness of Hebrews 4, that the Word of God comes and strips to make you comfortable with your incompleteness so that He can make you complete. Losing your life in order to find it. There's something 
fundamentally freeing and core to the kingdom of God in this. And if, if there could be a culture of general acceptance of the incompleteness of one another, if we would stop judging ourselves and stop judging others by their incomplete status, maybe God could rest on that faith and on those lives in a way he couldn't otherwise. And I believe that's what the church is meant to be. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would continue this work. And as much as even sometimes we are laboring under the weight of the work that's unfinished and we don't know why it's not working and we, we, we painted finish lines only to run past them again and again and again, Lord, we just want to say this is your work. We, we're, we're, we're done in as, as much as we can be done trying to manage it for you. So we say, Holy Spirit, fix us. Complete in us what you began. We are your workmanship. And you have all the resources to deal with all of the decay, all of the, all of the, the problems. We, we, we're, we, we as, and as much as we can, God, because we don't want to be pretentious even in this, but we say, Lord, we're done being perfect, being finished. Oh, so, Holy Spirit, expedite the work. Now that you don't have us putting a paint of coat on moldy, rotting wood, do what you can actually do. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's family. That's family. And... You know, we have family in, the, in our nuclear home, you know, home scenarios, but God wants us. Couldn't you live as family with one another? It's a great thing if we could grab it. And it's going to come. Somebody's going to get it. May as well be us. May as well. So. So we're praying and, I, and we're worshiping here, and I suddenly see the story from the Bible where... I think it's Elisha's servant. He's got a borrowed axe, and he's working with it, and the axe head flies off, and it's into the water. And he's like, alas, that was borrowed. Like, oh, what do I do? And I saw the axe head float. And I feel like God's saying to individuals in this place, you've been given a gift. You were given an anointing, and you slipped with it. You lost it, and you went, oh, no. But in this moment, it's recovery time. It's time for you to recover the thing that was lost. It's time for the axe head to rise. You still have value. You still have merit. It's time for you to come forward. It's time for you to step out again. It's time for you to be who you are. It's time for you to move in faith again. If this is you, ah, I didn't know that part. If this is you, put your hands up. Put your hands up. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we hear your word. We say it is a time of recovery. We say recovery of lost things. We declare the recovery of gifts, the recovery of anointings, the recovery of blessings. In Jesus' name, you're a good, good Father, and you call those things that were not as though they are. You call those things that were lost into being found. Ha! Just like the widow who lost a mite, she rejoiced when she found it. And the Lord rejoices over the things that were lost because they are recovered. So we declare usefulness. We declare effectiveness. We declare increase.
fruitfulness, effectiveness, increase in Jesus' name. Recovery, recovery, recovery. Blessing. Father, move us, move us, move us. Move the faith in us, Father. Move the faith in us, Father. The Lord trusts you. It's not over. He trusts you with what he's entrusted to you. He trusts you. Shame break, guilt break in Jesus' name. The Lord trusts his children. And so we just collectively want to step back all of the disappointment, all of the missed timelines where we thought, surely by this time such and such will be, and then it was not. And so we just declare, God, we're throwing out all of our timelines and we're saying, Lord, that we are your workmanship, that you are the one that is doing this. And, and, and God, we, we repent for imposing on you and on this journey all of these, all of these expectations. And we say, Lord, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Whether it's 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or even in the third generation. Abraham didn't know that it was going to take three generations. He just had the promise. He just had the promise. He thought it was going to take, you know, five years, ten years. He didn't know. But he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And the challenge was, can you not try to formulate a version of the promise? So, God, we've done it again and again. We've created our Ishmaels. We've drawn our lines in the sand, and we've, we've made our statements and our ultimatums, and, and God, you were unmoved by any of them. But you are God, and we are not. And so we take our place to say, create in me the destiny that you promised. <sighs> we resign to your will to your desire. In Jesus' name.